0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Oficial. Marca Mesut Özil. That
2: is some absolutely world-class sitting down there, staying at home, just sitting down. Oh, look, there he goes. He's eaten his fourth sandwich of the day. This is Remarkable.
1: This is Arscast Extra. Hello
2: and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to
1: you too, Andrew. How are you doing?
2: I'm all right. This is episode 352, another one of those, which is a formation episode. Ah, yeah, a formation
1: we sort of briefly adopted for a period in this podcast's history, of course. That's right. Arsene
2: Wenger. Arsene Wenger sort of used it, didn't he, when he went three at the back that time? Remember when it was all going terribly, terribly wrong and we moved to a back three and it started going
1: a little bit less wrong. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what was the first do you remember the first game we played it was an away Middlesbrough, game Middlesbrough was it? I thought it was Middlesbrough. Yeah, but I, I sort of can't believe they were in the Premier League back then, but it was Middlesbrough. Alexis Sanchez scored a free kick possibly in that game. Wow, I, I can't remember that, but yeah, it, basically we were rubbish but we didn't lose and so then we just stuck with that formation for about a year or so. Or was, was
2: that the 20 20- 17 18 season was that was it Arson's last season or 16, was it 16
1: 17 I think cuz it was it led into the FA Cup final of course which we oh, had the back three that
2: for. is right. Yeah I'm just looking it up here our team that day the back three was Caselny No that can't be right it looks like we've played a back four in the one I'm looking at a 2-1 win away from home at Middlesbrough late in yeah, the season Yeah
1: that was the one. Yeah that was the one.
2: So Gabriel Caselny holding Monreal
1: who did we play at right? Monreal played wing back, I guess. Is it Chamberlain? oxlade right Chamberlain,
2: wing back? yeah, could have yeah. played right wing back.
1: That was it. There you that go. There oxlade Chamberlain going. was really good as a right wing back, actually, uh, for a spell. Was he? But
2: was wow. he? Was he really? I mean, <laughs> I
1: thought he, I liked really? it. I liked him. Uh, yeah. I mean, look. Yeah. He didn't want to be there, though.
2: No. It's hard not to remember... Anfield. Yeah, I mean, that is the performance in which, uh, I, I for me, defines his, his time at right wing-back. Uh, wing yeah. um, but didn't he play the left wing-back in the FA he Cup did. final?
1: Yeah, he played left wing-back quite a few times for us as well. Wasn't very uh, good there either. He played all the positions, really. I think he even played, like, once we were chasing a game and he came on as a right-back in a four, you know, mm. just to sort of push on... Played central midfield, left wing, right wing. Yeah. Played all the positions, but, you know.
2: Wow, we're really going down a great trip of uh, memory lane here. All the good things. Remember to Alex remember. Chamberlain. Remember so the He already
1: Ox. belonged to nostalgia. I mean,
2: Incredible. he must do, yeah. I mean, he's gone, what, two years now? Is it two years?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. I mean, it's sort of, he hasn't played football for a lot of that time as well, so yeah. I think that probably lends itself to the kind of nostalgic reminiscing.
2: Yeah. Is, I mean, is his knee OK? I mean, did he, was he playing for Liverpool? He I was a he was bit, just, wasn't he? he?
1: He was, yeah. He was back in the squad. He was back in the squad. Um, so he was playing here and there. So, yeah, maybe, maybe... Uh, I mean, that's the weird thing about this period, is that loads of players, who, you, in your mind, you were like, they're done. They're out for the season or whatever. Yeah. They're all back and available now. They've all got a level playing field. I mean, That's Darren it. Burgess talked about this, didn't they, on, on Friday's show?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the likes of Hector Bellerin, uh, Rob Holding, who are struggling with post-cruciate injuries and what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Darren made the point that um, not only would their fitness be better, but, uh, you know, there's a sort of equalization of fitness levels because everybody's been affected by by the lockdown and the inability to do the kind of training that the top athletes should do. So, I mean, it's good for those guys and it's good for, for Lucas Torreira. Obviously we mentioned him before as well. Kieran Tierney, somebody else who spent a big uh, amount of this season out injured. Um, You know, they're all sort of coming back at more or less the same level as, as everybody else. That is the thing I think that's going to be so interesting and so fascinating is, is what are these players going to be like physically, you know, um, I've watched a bit of Bundesliga a little bit but I haven't really paid a great deal of attention but I don't have anything to work off there in the sense that you know the Arsenal players so well you're able to sort of gauge you know how they are physically in comparison to all the other games that you've watched them with uh, you know all due respect to Union Berlin uh, I don't know what their players were like before I started watching them in the last couple of weeks Sure not very closely sure. either
1: you're a plastic, you're a plastic union
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely,
1: 100%. I think it's going to be really interesting, especially because I'd sort of forgotten this element of it, but when Arteta took charge of Arsenal, the team was sort of not really fit enough to do what he wanted them to do. I don't know if you recall, but there was a kind of pattern, particularly in the early games, where we would play a certain way for about an hour and then massively drop off. Mm. Intensity wasn't really there. And I do just wonder if, you know, in the time that they've been isolating and in the time he's had together with the squad, will he have got their fitness levels you know maybe more in line with the kind of strategic game plan he wants to deploy Mm. because you know there are different physical profiles for different coaches I think and Arteta's is one that requires you know huge intensity and uh, I'll be fascinated to see not only if we can sort of muster that in this first game, but how we sustain it as well with the the schedule we're going to face. Yeah,
2: well, I think we have some questions, so we'll do what we normally do, you know, in these sort of lockdown podcasts, is we'll take questions throughout, uh, you know, just to give us some uh, starting points. Um, And there was one on that very thing, which I must... um Try and dig out here, which I probably should have done before I uh, told you uh, about this. Um, Well, here's one uh, from Sean Weir, who's at the Badger Weir. And he says, we see in friendlies, which I accept are different, uh, team fluidity is compromised when lots of subs are made and teams lose cohesion. Do you think this might be an issue with the new five subs rule, which is basically 50% of your outfield players you can change if you like? And we know why they brought it in, because, you know, to keep players fresh and to give managers the ability to, you know, save players from injury uh, as much as freshen things up.
1: Yeah, and I think we spoke about this a few weeks ago and we were both quite uh, positive about it. I heard, I was listening to the Arsenal Vision podcast and I thought Mm. Elliot made a good case on there about... One of the potential consequences of this, which is you could get a player, you know, brought on as kind of like a spoiler or starting the game. You know, he can make a foul, he can pick up a yellow card and he can come off. You know, it could suit teams who've got a kind of rotational fouling tactic and Mm. things like that. You get a lot of that in basketball. Wow. Um, Which, you know, I hadn't thought about it from that point of view, but it is possible, I suppose, that you could see that in play. I think, what was the original question? Do you think that like
2: uh, the the cohesion of teams, the fluency of teams oh, right. might be uh, impacted by this? Yeah,
1: that you might get that kind of international friendly effect, where the first half feels a bit like a real match, and then after that, it sort of just descends into people feeling their way into the game. Maybe I think, I think what's maybe more disruptive in those fit friendlies is often the amount of stoppages, right? And that that doesn't allow any flow into the game, and of crucially, with these five subs. It should still be the same amount of stoppages. You know, they're not allowed to Mm. make five separate substitutions. So I think that will help a bit. I guess that is a risk that some of the continuity and the flow of the match will be interrupted. But equally, um, I was going to say, well, at least there'll be players, more players who are fresh late in the game to bring things to it. But actually, sometimes what's entertaining late in a game is that things become a bit ragged and a bit stretched. Maybe we'll see shape being a bit more consistent across the 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, well, I got an email during the week from somebody. I apologise because I can't um, remember the name of the person who sent me the email, but I did uh, reply, and he had concerns that we might see, I think, as he put it. Um, let me see if I can find the email here while we're talking. But so, somebody like Burnley. Um, let's see. Uh, my email search is not working that well. Um Oh, yeah, a guy called Martin um, and he said, like, you know, Burnley already slightly wedded to negative tactics. You know, could they use this five subs rule to completely park the bus and to make it even more difficult for teams to break down? As you say, you know, as a game goes on, this fatigue, you know, the pitch mm-hmm. tends to get a bit stretched. Is there a danger that rather than introduce a kind of tactical revolution to the game, we might see teams better able to completely negate the attacking qualities of the opposition?
1: I guess, but then I guess the onus just shifts back to the bigger team or the bigger coach or the more attack-minded coach to come up with a solution and and he's got more options at his disposal Mm. in order to do that. Uh, I think it might be... A little bit of an equaliser. The main thing it leads me to think is that I think this period of football is going to be very much coach led. I think it's going to be, I think, I don't know if that's partly because of the lack of atmosphere too, but I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of watch these sort of exercises in coaching. Coaches come up against each other trying to solve these problems. Um, and I actually have quite a lot of confidence in Arteta in that respect. I think he is a guy who. You know, does think very deeply about the game. Who mm. does look to affect it where he can. Um, so maybe it's just that pre-season optimism that's sort of flooding me. But I kind of feel like it might it might play to our advantage. Slightly.
2: Yeah. So how are you feeling about the potential return of football? Having spent three months more or less without it, it is over three months now since Arsenal played a game of football, and we know that this time next week we're going to be having a conversation about. Mm. Arsenal facing Manchester City. We're going to be waiting to hear from Mikel Arteta at a press conference, I guess, and to do all that that sort of pre-match build-up stuff that we uh, were used to before everything shut down. I mean, are you looking ahead to this with with excitement? I, I was speaking uh, just chatting away this morning to, to Andrew Allen, who says he's finding it a little bit difficult to get excited about it because, you know, as somebody who goes to the games uh, as a season ticket holder, he doesn't have games to go to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a different thing for him. For me, it's just football coming back on the telly for the most part, you know? So, I mean, how are you how are you feeling about it and, and you know, what the schedule entails?
1: Uh, how am I feeling about it? I, I think I would have to admit to being one of those people who was never particularly ready for football to be back. It just was not in any way the priority for me for, for the largest part of this crisis. But, kind of in contradiction, now that it is coming quite close, I can't help but be excited about it. You know, mm. Arsenal played there friendly, behind closed doors this weekend. And, you know, like any other pre-season, I was kind of intrigued and interested to see what happened, to see the goals. And the thought of Arsenal actually playing in a competitive game, it is exciting to me i think i think the fact that the premier league testing has been so rigorous and seemingly successful in terms of keeping infections down among premier league players and coaches that has kind of helped my confidence about it uh, and i think i think it will be a very welcome distraction in some respects from from other things that are occurring you know socially or politically and uh, not that I want a distraction from them, but just that, you know, I think we could all do with some hmm. entertainment that we don't have to invest in quite so heavily. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm large. I am looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. Are you excited about it or are, you still, are there still those reservations?
2: No, I'm I'm excited about the football in, in as much as he can be in, in the circumstances. You know, I, I, yeah. I again, I think you're right to say... Um, it's not that it's a distraction from everything else that's going on, but it is something to, to provide us with some entertainment. And, and you can be distracted by football and still be aware of what's going on everywhere else. You know, the two things aren't mutually exclusive or, or anything like no. it. It's quite interesting because today in Ireland, we have moved into I think it's phase two of the the. Um, what you call the what's the opposite of lockdown unlockening the unlockening of <laughs> yeah, of society but... <laughs> um you know in, in the sense that shops are open again retail shops are open there's still a way to go obviously pubs and restaurants and, and what have you aren't open um but you know it feels like with that happening today and football on the horizon that there's a sort of step back towards I suppose, what was normal. Um, You know, I don't think what was normal will ever be the normal that we we have in the future. You know, I think there's... So much has gone on and so much has changed and so much has happened that it's bound to inform, you know, society and our worldview and everything like it. But if we're looking for comfort um, from the world that we knew before, things as they were, it just feels a little bit like uh, uh, we've got some of that going on. So, you know, I'm excited to, to see what we do on the pitch. Uh, I'm all, I'm 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 sort of curious as to what my reaction is going to be like to things you know what I mean, well, because so,
1: so like like if you if like a victory will feel as good or a defeat will hurt as much,
2: yes, like
1: yeah,
2: um, I think over the last few months, and particularly it's in sharp focus at the moment, we we can't really pretend that football is the most important thing in the world, which is kind yeah. of what it felt like before, you know what I mean? That, that it was, I mean, I'm not saying it's not important, but it it was the center of our universe, if you like. And we had so much invested in it and resting on it. and And things kind of, I'm not going to say they felt personal or whatever, but, you know, you could get very upset by certain things. So I'm just wondering if an Arsenal defender does a thing that we've seen the Arsenal defender do countless times before like am I going to lose my shit about it when in reality I'm sort of thinking well you know it's just a game of football and that's what he does anyway we know that I mean what's the point in going crazy about it like I feel like I'm going to celebrate goals I'm going to enjoy wins and I feel like defeats are going to hurt because you know I've, I've spent my whole life within that construct but I just wonder, will it be easier to rationalize those things and, and be, I'm not going to say more objective, because I've all, I think we've always tried to be objective about what happens. But, you know, how, how far do you go with it in either direction? I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm just I'm interested to see how it feels.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point because everything's been kind of necessarily contextualized hasn't it i mean football has been placed in context as what it is Mm. and and that it's in not in no way a matter of life and death and we've all been had, had to confront that reality in different ways and i do think it will it will like many things that have sort of slightly changed how i feel about it in recent years uh, I think it will be another step in in that direction, and I think potentially quite a healthy direction, you know, where maybe it doesn't uh, cause me as much pain as it has in the past, or you know, I'm able to kind of see it with a degree of perspective. Um, I hope so. I mean, look, when a game starts and, you know, Mustafi does fall over or whatever it might be, uh, I probably will be stood on my sofa screaming, sure. you know, clawing at my face. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to have a bit more sure. perspective. Yeah. I think, I think it's a reasonable uh, position to take, I think, given what we've sort of collectively been through. And also, to kind of appreciate that if football is happening in this country, uh, it is kind of a, a feat in some ways that it is at all, mm. um, and and also have a degree of respect for the professionals who are, you know, out there training, mixing with people, playing this game. I know they are incredibly well rewarded, well much more well rewarded yeah. than people who deserve to be very well rewarded sure. uh, on the front line in other ways, but. You know, I'm not hurrying out my home, uh, and these guys are doing that. And yeah. So I think, yeah, just sort of having a a recognition of that might might help a little bit with that.
2: Yeah, and look, just in case anybody thinks we're picking on Mustafi, it could also be.
1: Socrates.
2: So there you go. Um what was I going to say to you? Look, I mean, the the other thing I would say is that in order, like everything, you know, there's highs and lows and there's extremes of of passion and emotion. Um And I think we all want to experience the the joy of football again, right? We all want to experience the highs. We all want the team to succeed. And ultimately, we want the team to win things uh, because that is like the ultimate high winning the Premier League or winning a trophy of some kind, you know. But you can't have those extreme highs without, you know, um, having some dark, difficult moments as well. So, you know, there's a there's a balance to be found, I think. So,
1: yeah, and I found myself because I was we were chatting, I was chatting with Amy Lawrence, I think, about what she misses most in football, and she said hugging strangers. Yeah, and you know that's something that won't be back really you know in this iteration of football but I was reminded of sort of 2014 and when Arsenal won the FA Cup after nine years without success and I was reminded of kind of this sense of joy that pervaded like online you know seeing people sending pictures from their homes in India in America in Australia where they've been watching an Arsenal success and I do wonder if there'll be a similar way we can kind of engender that community feeling, you know, despite the fact we're all going to be distanced from each other. And I I think that that will happen and it will feel great to just be uh, part of something if that's not too sort of banal a thing to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is a really interesting part of, you know, how football comes back and and how we as fans um, modify or have to modify our behaviour, you know, because we know games are going to be played behind closed doors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, fans are going to have to be let back in. Um, it might be, uh, I guess, a small percentage of them in in the stadium or whatever way they want to work it. But sure. even if you're watching a game when the pubs are open again, you know, there is this necessity to maintain social distance, Right. That's what the the advice is at this moment in time. You know, social distancing, we all understand, is important to prevent the spread of the virus. And because m- many people um, have been practicing that and been aware of that and been adhering to those guidelines, we have seen, the, uh, you know, the virus slow down in many places. Not everywhere, yes. but in, in many places, Um but part of football is as you know, you say and as Amy made the point, you know, just that, that sort of random, spontaneous contact with another person, whether you're hugging them in the, the pub because we scored a goal or high fiving them or in the stadium beside somebody, just sort of randomly hugging a, a stranger because the the good thing about football has happened. You scored a goal, it's something to celebrate. You know, I wonder how our behavior is going to have to deal with the realities of the situation that we find ourselves in, even as things start getting, you know, closer and closer to, you know, what normal used to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And I suppose what this distancing has done is kind of heightened Uh, any interaction that we do have in real life. Like, I know, speaking personally, that every Thursday night when people went out to applaud for NHS and frontline workers, seeing someone else (laughs) in the street or in their window, you know, I experienced a great sort of sense of connection that I don't think would have happened several months ago. So maybe... The interactions that we do have with people in real life at distance will be heightened in some way. Maybe if I'm walking down the street and see a guy in an Arsenal shirt, whereas six months ago I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it, maybe that will mean more to me. It will reverberate in some greater sense. I don't know. But it's going to be really, really, really interesting. And actually, like, you know, you and I, both people who've, for a long time, an element of our sort of fan experience has been in the online space. And I think that's going to be a massive expression of how people watch and enjoy football together. It already was, let's be clear. Yeah. Like, t- Twitter during the game, live blogs, things like that. But I'm sure that those will only be amplified, you know, by the fact that there's nobody in the stadium.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we saw that the the uh, Premier League is going to have um, artificial... Uh, sound effects and cheering yeah. and crowd noise in association with EA Sports. Um, it's in the game. It's in the game. Previously on Arsenal. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're going to do that. I mean, that's a, that's an optional thing. But there's another thing that they're doing where I think you can you can jump on a the Sky Sports website and create your own Zoom room or whatever the fuck it's called and sit there and watch with your mates and things like that. Which seems okay. seems terrible to me. But that's that could be just me. I know there are other people who are, who are um, capable of socializing via these video screens and things like that. I mean, I'm working during a game anyway, so don't talk to me. But you I know, I won't
1: invite you to my Zoom. Don't, don't invite worry.
2: me to your Zoom room. I won't go anyway. I won't go because Zoom uh, yeah, is evil.
1: I think I think that the broadcasters have got to try and be innovative where they can and. It's interesting, the the sound thing, because you're, you're not at all on board, are you, with the fake sound?
2: I'm not really. But then, look, I haven't experienced it. It's just my gut feeling about what it's going to be like. And, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, again, Andrew said he was watching some Bundesliga at the weekend with the crowd noise and it was all right. He said it was, um, he said, what did he say? Let me just get it here. Weirdly comforting, which I guess is... Is is part of the experience as a viewer? Um, mm. You know, I, I. It's a bit like a laugh track, you know, a canned laughter, whatever you call it, you know, on a sitcom, that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes ah. it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, I feel like it's yeah. a it's going to be a, a tricky job for the sound engineers and and everything else. I personally, my gut feeling is that look, the reality of the situation is. Uh, we're locked out of football as supporters because of you know a crisis in which thousands uh, and tens of thousands of people have died in the UK um, and hundreds of thousands across the world have died and more will die. And I feel like the reality of that is preferable to creating um what's the word? I mean, it's like. Um, special effects or something isn't it you know it is it's yeah. an artifice it's it's
1: look there's so almost yeah. like a, a uh, there's almost a poignancy are you saying in not having it it's yeah. kind of uh, it's it's apposite I, I think that's really interesting I mean one thing I do think you know a lot of the sort of innovations that are coming into the game now to get it back on its feet I think are going to stick around and actually if they find that you know Augmenting the 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 TV experience is helped by you know putting in fake crowd noise or whatever. Well, I think that will stick around even when fans come back into stadiums. They'll think, well, we could just make this sound a bit better than it is. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they'll they'll ramp it up, and uh, you know if they go to a, get- a ground that's a bit quiet, <coughs> Emirates, then they'll turn it up, etc., <laughs> uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But I think. Um, uh, my personal take on it, I think, as a viewer, is that I don't need it for Arsenal games mm. because I'm really invested in those games. And to be honest, I'm probably more interested in hearing what Mikel Arteta shouts to yeah. his fullback than I am in hearing fake noise. If it's if I'm sort of you know watching a lot of the games, as I imagine a lot of people will do in this period, and it's Burnley against Southampton to pick two teams at random, and mm. I don't particularly care i can imagine that turning on the crowd noise might make it in some way a more compelling or dramatic Mm. viewing experience potentially
2: yeah i mean we did question here from matthew on the discord and he said Mm. did you see the announcement from la liga that they're going to use computer generated fans um, replaced with institutional messages on close-ups and fan noise in the stadium. Do you think this would be the start of what he calls the Americanization of the stadium-going experience with more focus on the entertainment than the sport? And would that be a bad thing? And just, you know, to give people... Um, an idea of what La Liga have said. Uh, one of the things is virtualized stands and fan audio. Uh, this, the stands will be virtualized and will always offer two scale images, uh, to scale images, I should say, rather than two scale, because it sounds like the number two, uh, of seated fans wearing the colors of the home club. And they've uh, collaborated with a Norwegian company. Um, which works with other European leagues. Um, in moments when the game is stopped, this image of fans can be transformed into a canvas uh, that that matches the colour of the home team and will carry institutional messages, among other things. I don't know what that might be. It could be COVID-19 messages, could be, uh, I suppose, advertising at some point. And the yeah. EA Sports thing uh, is a project called Sounds of the Stands. Uh, through this, the audio library of La Liga official sponsor EA It's in the game, uh, which is recorded in real stadiums, has been used and has been digitally adapted so it can be implemented in real time during the match. It will be adapted to the flow of the game as certain situations occur, such as a goal, a foul, creating uh, such as a goal or a foul, creating what is known as atmospheric audio.
1: That's what it's known as. That's what it's
2: known as.
1: Uh, and to be clear, this is all uh, sort of coming out the broadcast feed. It's not like they're playing crowd noise over the PA, is it? That'd be hilarious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be on the broadcast, but could you imagine? I was only thinking today, I was only thinking today, like, you know, um, it would be amazing if Arsenal had the stadium announcer. That dude in there doing all the uh, all the bits and pieces that oh, he normally yeah. does before the game, you know? I mean, there's no need. Yeah, that would be great. You know, but...
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, what do I think about that? Uh, Listen, I worry about it slightly from the same perspective as the person asking the question, is the value and the importance of match-attending fans going to be eroded somewhat? Mm. But if we're really honest, clubs and leagues have been behaving in that way, as if the fans who attend games aren't particularly important, for a really long time now. Um, You know, be that in terms of kind of pricing people out or, you know, clearly in terms of Mm. schedule when they move games and give late notice and things like that. You know, they've been treating fans that way for some time. And so this is only going to accelerate something that was already in place. I guess we can only hope that when fans are allowed back in the stadium, I mean, we basically have to hope that the viewing experience is not as good as the real thing, don't we? Because that means when fans come back into the stadium, there'll be an appreciation for Mm what they add to and if you'll forgive this horrible word the product
2: yeah like it 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 feels to me like you know if this goes relatively well and and people are okay with it that this sort of technology could be used to augment the viewing experience like let's say let's say we qualify for the Europa League yeah And let's say fans are allowed back in the stadium, but we are playing FC Carl from God knows where. (laughs) And there are 30,000 people in the stadium, swathes of empty seats across the Mm. Emirates. Could they just fill them in? Could they just like for the viewing experience, you know, for the, you know, it makes it look better for sponsors, does it not to have a full stadium? It makes it look better for the viewers if you're seeing a game played in a full stadium, if it sounds loud and exciting and raucous on television, it is a better experience for the television viewer. So to subtly or maybe not so subtly manipulate what we're seeing on screen versus mm-hmm. what's actually there in the stadium, I do wonder if, if that's a road that we could end up going down.
1: I think there is a a real risk of that. I think there's another possibility, by the way, which is that if stadiums, for some reason, don't sell out when, when they are able to take fans back in again, clubs may identify a kind of new revenue stream, which is selling advertising space in the stands. You know, they've, they've always had the hoardings, but if it means that you can have, uh, you know... A, a section of seats that are in prime position on camera every mm. time they go over the halfway line, uh, and someone's willing to pay a big chunk of money for it. The clubs may deem that more useful, so they might end up yeah. trying to factor that in in some way. I, I don't know. I think, I think that I think that the problem is that I do think that obviously it might improve the viewing experience in the immediate term mm. but i do think as you suggest there are potential repercussions in terms of how it hangs around that yeah. are a bit concerning
2: yeah 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 uh, andrew mcclure also on the uh also on the discord you might remember him from no never mind anyway he says <laughs> uh, morning gents hope you're well with the reintroduction of uh, or with the introduction of engineered crowd noise do you think we will see i guess hear the return of the highbury screamer
1: well, I would, I would love that. That would be I would amazing. The guys thinking just yeah. the same. They yeah. must be able to clip that and drop it in.
2: Yeah, I, there's a, there's so many good examples. I think there's one. You know that game we beat Manchester United. Yeah. Remember when Bartes made the two mistakes? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was Arsenal three-one Man United, and I think, the first goal in that game is scored by United.
1: Could be Paul right. Skulls. Okay. And oh, a, yeah, first half. Yeah, yeah, th- there's yeah. There's a
2: brilliant example of the hybrid screamer on that particular uh, video.
1: I think there's one on. Um- when Kedrue scores as well in that 5 3 middles oh, game. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, the long range yeah. one they caught layman yeah, out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Which is, you know, a screamer in every respect, I guess. But they, yeah, that would be great to drop that back in. And also, there was this Irish guy who appeared on like NBC country oh, yeah? just shouting obscenities, yeah, uh, for the whole of the first half right. one time. It'd be good okay. if they could clip that and wow. put that into Yeah,
2: that sounds uh, innovative to me. <laughs> I think they should do that
1: <laughs> but yeah I mean imagine if this does stick around like what are the what are the consequences so like every pre-season will they be like right we're going to get a load of Arsenal fans together and record them singing their new songs that they've got For you know Bukayo Saka's got a song now so we need to get a recording of that so why would we be singing
2: a them? song about a Liverpool player
1: <laughs> uh,
2: i'm crying though
1: i'm crying <laughs> i
2: am crying
1: it's a very good point hey it's we do we
2: have a question on that actually um kay. let's do that one before we take a break um let's see i did have it here i'm not oh here it is gaz arsenal who's uh, at gaz underscore arsenal on twitter he says sorry gloomy question but when does it become time to consider selling Bakayo Saka?"
1: It's a gloomy one, all right, isn't it? What a glo- what a gloomy way to end uh, an optimistic part one. Um, let's think about that. I mean, when the transfer window opens, I guess. Um, I mean, you can't lose a player of that caliber for nothing. A compensation amount, can you? I mean, I just think that would be completely disastrous. I mean, in some ways, almost as disastrous. Um. Well, more disastrous than selling it. That's, uh, yeah,
2: I mean, we would get some money for him if he were to leave on a free, isn't that right?
1: Yes, we'd get a compensation amount, I believe, to sell him by Tribunal, and I suspect it wouldn't be what we would l- expect to receive in the transfer market. Yeah. Um, compensation yeah. for
2: players under 24, yeah, so... Um.
1: I mean, I don't want to think about it at all, but by uh, Raoul's logic, a year ago is the answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I'm not saying a word about that guy because every time I do, people, people give out to me and say, you've got an agenda. So all I will say is let's hope... Uh, for a very positive outcome when it comes to Bukayo Saka, you know he's not the only player heading into the final final year of his contract. You know there is a decision to be made one way or the other. I think um, you know Mikel Arteta was instrumental in in uh, negotiating with the squad in terms of a pay cut. You know hopefully he is going to take a hands on approach with Bukayo Saka and convince him that his you know his future lies in red and white. So that's mm. that's the only thing I'm thinking of. Remember earlier in the podcast where we said, um, you know, would we really find things as, you know, either exhilarating or as frustrating? I'll just say this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know where
0: you're going. <laughs> that
2: if we lose Bakayo Saka, then all bets are off. Pitchforks are sure. out. Pitchforks are out. And flaming pitchforks at that as well.
1: Yeah. The statues um, at the Emirates Stadium will be coming down, if that happens. I mean, it will be... I will college.
2: build a statue of Raoul just to fucking take it down. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So, look, yeah, let's let's try not to end it on a gloomy note and let's hope that, you know, he's got his mates there, Eddie and Kettia, uh, uh Joe Willock, Reese Nelson, this young crop of players, Emile Smith-Rowe. You know, they're all coming through at the same time. They represent, um, you know, a real... Uh, uh, a real what do they represent you know the the academy and the progress of the academy and, and the fact that mm-hmm. you know we are going to have to build from within so you know to be in that environment to be with those guys and to be with those players that you've grown up with at a club like Arsenal you know it shouldn't be that difficult to convince him that this is the place for him to be so let's hope they do that
1: fingers
2: crossed fingers crossed okay we will take a break and we'll come back with more of your questions and more waffle in part two right after this Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at ArseBlog. On the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArseBlog, and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArseBlog member on Patreon. Um, uh, just let me ask you quickly before we get into questions and, and things. 6-0 mm. um, win over Charlton. Hat trick for Eddie mm-hmm. and Kedia. Uh goal for Aubameyang, goal for Lacazette. Who scored the other one? Joe Willock, was it? Joe Willock. Joe Willock. Yeah, was. So, yeah, I mean, look, we can't read um, really anything into uh, a game like that because, you know, it's mix and match, it's getting the players some, uh, you know, some fitness and match fitness and, and what have you. But, you know, I think Man City should be afraid.
1: <laughs> look, I mean, there was, I enjoyed seeing the highlights. Lacazette's goal was great. I mean, mm. I think, you know, that stayed hit, is how you would put it. Uh, Mm. And I was pleased to see Eddie Nketiah among the goals because I think, as we mentioned last week, it's probably slipped our minds a bit that he was sort of really pushing for a regular inclusion around the time football started.
2: That's true. Yeah, I mean, I know we spoke about it, but it's, you know, when we talk about someone like Torreira or Bellerin or Holding, you know, having, having, uh, you know, benefited from the lockdown because it's enabled Mm. them to get back going... You know, if you're Eddie and you are beginning to, to play regular first-team football and start games in the Premier League, you know, maybe things will have changed a little bit when, when we come back. I mean, it, yeah. I don't suppose Mikel Arteta's opinion of Eddie will be that different. You know, if he was prepared to start him beforehand, why wouldn't he be prepared to start him now? But just just as he was beginning to build a little bit of momentum, it was sort of taken away.
1: Yeah, I mean, what convinced... Mikel Arteta to keep Eddie at the club was his performances in training, and I imagine if he replicates those now footballs restarted, he'll get opportunities again. There's going to be loads of rotation, but it is it, He is someone who probably didn't want football to stop, and maybe Lacazette did. You know, he was so out of form at the time. Probably the the break has done him some good. Mm. Uh, I mean. Who did we play? Charlton, wasn't it? And they yeah. are a week behind us in their preparations. So it really was um, a bit too easy for Arsenal. But some nice goals. Good finish from Bamiag. Good finish from Joe Willock as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something he's really got in his locker. I mean, people talk about his athleticism, but. With the under twenty threes, he was really characterised by his ability to arrive late in the box and finish pretty well when he mm. did, and that was a, a decent enough finish. He's another guy who, you know, I think was probably not in great shape when football stopped. Joe Willock, and yeah. I think that he looked a bit leggy and a bit lost, and maybe, maybe this this time off and will give him a bit of time to refocus and work with Arteta because I do, I still think there's a good player in there.
2: Yeah, I do too. I do too, and I wonder, you know, when we when we think about the games that we're going to play, uh, you know, if Danny Ceballos is not going to be with us next season, you know, is he just kind of a handy sub, and you invest your time in someone like Joe Willock, you know, who, who who's going to be here for the future? I'm just, you know, uh, looking up our midfield goal scorers so far this season. Mm. I think he's is he the highest,
1: probably. Probably. I mean, look, Shaka's not getting many goals. Torreira's probably got a couple. Uh, how many's Joe Willock got? I three think or three
2: or four. I'm just looking here. Detailed. Let's look at their stats. Goals. Sort by goals on transfer marked. So, yeah, I mean, Nicolas Pepe, is an attacker. So, uh, you know, it's... 20 goals for Aubameyang, 10 for Martinelli, 9 for Lacazette, 6 for Pepe, and then we have 4 for Joe Willock. Mm. Um, Torreira has 2, Ceballos has 1, Ozil has 1.
1: in midfield is something we've been very short of, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you know, when you think about the, the the profile of player that we have in those positions, they're not really goal scorers. Xhaka doesn't have a goal this season. Um Sokratis Sokratis has got three goals
0: Sokratis Papastatopoulos
2: um, So yeah there's a gap there for a player who can score goals from midfield and when you look at the players that we have Willock is somebody who, who does get into the box and does get chances and uh, you know his finishing isn't always uh, brilliant but you think of that goal he scored against Liverpool in the crazy game Um mm you know he's 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 somebody who can provide that kind of impact so maybe maybe he's one of those guys who we could think about in the you know the last 20 25 minutes of games when you can make five subs and if you need goals you know um, rather than bringing on all the strikers you can add somebody in that in that position uh, as well who can give you a different kind of threat you know someone who arrives in the box rather than hangs around it
1: yeah, I'll be interested to see how he gets on. Definitely, I think that you know that. Mm. I think that is probably the most interesting thing about him is his ability to get into the box and be in goal-scoring areas, mm. even when even when the rest of his game isn't all connecting together. He does tend to have that capacity. Yes. Um, let's have another question. This is from uh, Republic, who's at Republic Ass on Twitter. Uh, And they say, with Werner off to Chelsea at 60 million euros, are we really seeing any effect to the transfer market even after COVID?
2: Yes, we had a similar question on the Discord from Zach Tays, um, who says with Chelsea meeting uh, Werner's release clause, Mm -hmm. does this make you second guess all the predictions about coronavirus impacting transfers or do you think it's a one-off? So um, what do I think about this? I think it's really interesting. I was... um, I was looking at it over the weekend. We we don't really know what the impact is going to be on the the transfer market, right? We we sort of have an idea that that things are going to be difficult for most football clubs. And I, you know, was it Lacazette's agent or something? Did a did an interview and he he spoke about how lots of swap deals were, you know. Uh, is what the agents and all that kind of stuff were talking about and how they were viewing the market. So I think think we can see that, you know, if a club is struggling to pay its players or is asking its players to take a pay cut, you know, are they going to then throw around tens of millions of pounds on transfers? Seems really... At odds, those two things seem at odds with each other, right? So it is mm-hmm. going to have an effect on on the transfer market. Player values are going to uh, fall, et cetera, et cetera, and it's going to have a big effect on football itself because you know there's, there's this sort of cycle of money that goes through the game. Whether it's you know lower league clubs selling players on to to slightly bigger clubs and sell on fees, and you know the entire you think about um, how how much French clubs benefit from players coming to England and things like that. You know, uh, the amount of money that's going to be around the game is going to, to uh, drop off. So, you know, for clubs, it is going to be a problem. Um, but Chelsea, of course, don't really have that problem because of the owner.
1: Well, also, and I think this has been something that has not been... Discuss much but i think it's really pertinent in this case they have had their transfer ban so mm. their expenditure has been significantly less they're one of the premier league clubs who sort of almost regardless of brand, rich, having sold hazard and things like that and not been able to buy for a, a little while have have money to spend have mm. money in the bank um And I think that's a big, big factor in why they are the club who've done this deal. And I I think there are one or two Premier League clubs who are a little bit, uh, not flush, but who've got a bit of cash that are feeling relatively confident about the next transfer window because they feel that they might be able to capitalise at a time when other clubs aren't going to be able to spend. I mean, one that was mentioned to me... Interestingly enough was Crystal Palace who sold Aaron Wan-Bissaka last summer and basically didn't spend that money and are kind of have the the mindset of well you know we we in in the window where a lot of our immediate rivals are not going to be able to spend anything we may be able to kind of cherry pick one or two um so that's another interesting dimension to it is that I think as bad as it is for most clubs, and as bad as I suspect it will probably be for Arsenal, there might be sort of one or two vultures who are able to capitalise.
2: Yeah, I mean, clubs with deep pockets, etc., etc. You know, and they're usually the big clubs, right? So they're already going to be at a level which sets them apart from a lot of other clubs. You know, are they going to be able to pick off the best talent... For low, low prices, um, or you know, pay off release clauses and things like that, which is what Chelsea have done when it comes to Werner, um, and then everybody else is kind of scratching around trying to do deals which are acceptable um, to them or to the the selling club or whatever it might be. You know, it's mm. going to be. Do you think it's going to make deal making more difficult? Um because it feels like, okay, if you're let's say uh we we accept that there are going to be more swap deals and stuff like that going on. Yeah. There are more parties involved in making a deal like that happen. So let's say you're James and you're playing for X Club and I'm, you know, Arsenal and I for some reason want to buy you, I just go um and offer your club a transfer fee that's acceptable and, you know, you're going to come because, you know, why would you turn down the Arsenal? I'm going to pay you good wages and potentially give you first-team football, depending mm-hmm. on your fitness, of course. Um But, you know, now let's say I want to buy you, I want to bring you in still, but I don't really have the money to do it. I'll offer you this guy. I'll offer the club, you know, we'll give you this guy. Or uh, this guy. Or, you know, have a look at this barely used uh, right-back we have here. Whatever it might be. But then that guy has got to want to go to that club as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that swap deals happen so rarely, ordinarily. And it's because there are more parties you've got to be on board with. it. Mm. Arsenal, actually, one of the few clubs who've done a couple. I mean, William Gallas arrived as part of a kind of swap with... Ashley Cole, um, Baptista and Reyes was a swap loan arrangement, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're we're one of the ones who actually done loan deals. But I do think they are tricky. I I, I know that people in the game are saying, oh, there'll be more of them. And there are things that do kind of facilitate that. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Evening Standard ran an article today on this piece of software called Transfer Room, (laughs) which... uh,
2: Yeah,
1: I mean... uh, Uh, Which is a real thing. It's absolutely a real thing. That's
2: mental because we did a spoof story about that on ArsBlog News four years ago. Right. Basically saying, you know, Arsene Wenger is using like a... um, a Tinder-style app to find a new striker, and, you you know, you swipe right on Nicholas Bent or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm going to pursue them to the ends of the earth to get my share of the royalties. You absolutely so you deserve
1: know. it. But apparently Premier League clubs do really like it. It's kind of like an online... Uh, database I suppose it's a bit like sort of on Championship Manager when you search by transfer listed or something yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know people are able to share information about players like who what kind of salary they would be expected to receive for them what kind of fee they expect to receive and it's it's something that's been mainly used until now to share information but uh, a couple of agents who I've spoken to think that actually it could uh, it could pick up some real momentum in the next transfer window, partly because it kind of enables you to move without necessarily needing intermediaries because it's club-to-club direct communication. Well, some um, people
2: won't like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But if you're looking to save money, it might be a way to save money. Um, Stan, so I Stan will like it. Stan <laughs> will like it. Stan and Josh will love, love it. it. When Stan and Josh hear about it, they will love it. I actually don't know 100% if Arsenal are on it, so I will have to uh, inquire about that. But not,
2: not that I'm aware of. Sure,
1: not that you're not that we're aware of. Um, yeah, I mean, the transfer market's going to be really weird. And also, how long is it going to be? You know, is it mm. going to be this frenetic period? I mean, I don't know. Leave it open. Leave it That's open. That's your
2: opinion. Leave it open the whole time. Fuck it. Get back to the way it used to be. Fuck this window, bullshit. Just leave it open. Even for a season. Even for a season, yeah. I mean, they used to close it around March, I think. You sort mm, of. They did. There was a deadline in March, and that was it. But all season long, you could bring in players whenever you wanted.
1: And um, if, you, if it was a cup competition, you would be cup tied, of course. Yeah. Um, but then people, you know, I guess the argument is well, if you're cup tied in the cup, shouldn't you be cup tied in the league, isn't it? Can't be cup tied in the, the league. Integrity? You'd be have to
2: be league tied.
1: Of course, yeah. But does it damage the integrity that you could, you know, play twice against one team? Do you know what I mean? Like, James, uh, James,
2: they're about to fill the stands with <laughs> fucking virtual fans. <laughs> Where's the fucking integrity? Forget about it.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, but do, do, wouldn't it drive you mad that the transfer chat, like let's say Abemang doesn't sign a new contract, or God forbid, Bukayo Saka doesn't. If we have to have the possibility of him leaving, like hanging over our heads, like a Damoclean sword for the entire season, well, you know, sort your you live fucking players. You sort live your by player the Damoclean sword, you die by the Damoclean <laughs> sword.
2: Just sort out their fucking contracts in the first place, and and you don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. Uh,
0: Yeah,
1: as for Chelsea, I mean, yeah, look, Werner looks like a good player for them to buy. Good luck Mm. to them. But I I don't think we can interpret their buying someone for a lot of money as a suggestion that the transfer market will operate as normal.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it will. I really don't think it will. I think there are going to be some clubs who have enough money to do whatever they want to do. And if it means you know, a little bit of money trickling down through other clubs, it might sort of lessen the impact a bit, you know, um, for... Uh, who, who does Werner play for? Leipzig. Disgustingly mm. sweet energy drink Leipzig. They've got plenty of fucking money anyway, so... Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a true measure of what the market is going to be. I think there will be a, a very two-tiered uh, market in, in that big clubs, your PSG's, Uh, your Chelsea's and, you know, Man City's, etc., are not going to be uh, in any way financially handicapped um, and could well be at a a a big financial advantage when it comes, you know, not simply to getting the best talent but being able to pay them, you know, the best wages and things like that, which would be um, be another element of this because a lot of clubs are going to look to cut costs as much as possible. Mm. Um, and for many clubs that comes via the wage bill so
1: and the real question is will Werner be any good when he stops being fueled by rocket powered disgustingly sweet energy drink out of
2: times what's he going to get what's he going to get in in Chelsea cup of tea
1: yeah a Ribena Ribena good luck playing on that mate
2: yeah nowhere near the same kind of Wings or whatever. Exactly. Right. Here's a question from David the Sky on the – uh, discord who says I listened to the latest hand break off and he puts in brackets I don't know what James that is. other podcast I don't know
1: what that is I've don't I I do not I not that I'm aware of right I'm not aware that's Not that's no that problem. I'm
2: aware of um yeah. he says which was taken from the or- Ornstein and Chapman show and he said he expects us to finish in a spot uh, playing for Europe if there is some uh do you uh think that it's important to qualify for Europe uh at the current football and world state and there was one here from Arteta's army Uh, on Twitter, who is at Alexis Cleesby. And he says, uh, Morning, Andrew and James. When the season resumes, we have a slim chance of the Champions League, but a good chance of Europa League. If we start badly, should we turn our focus to the FA Cup? Or is Europa money too important? Personally, I would like a Premier League campaign with no distractions.
1: Hmm. Well, turning our focus on the FA Cup is not turning away from the Europa League. I mean, if we win it, We're in it. Um, But... Ooh, Ooh. nice. Yes. I I think... uh, Well, I said on this, this, you know, alleged podcast that I think Arsenal will qualify for Europe in some fashion. Mm. I don't know if there is a Europe. Uh, As for whether it's important, it doesn't feel it massively. I think that... It's difficult for us to get excited, isn't it, about the prospect of another Europa League campaign, especially one that doesn't involve any fun away trips for any fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, how we long to be out partying in the streets of Baku once again. Well,
2: I mean, didn't didn't they add up the the figures? I think Swiss Ramble did it, and it might have been somewhere in the region of twenty five to thirty million yeah in terms of revenue when we got to the final uh, yeah. in that season um but that would be predicated quite strongly on uh, some gate receipts there was obviously prize money but i do feel like if like if you're a um a sponsor of the europa league or if you're a sponsor of the champions league um you will be renegotiating the terms of those sponsorship deals because the product that you uh, you originally signed up to to sponsor is now completely different you know mm. it's like sponsoring a racing car and then it turns into like a horse and cart doesn't look quite as good with your logo slapped on the arse of a fucking donkey right so yes so i feel like the financial Reward of the Europa League isn't quite as important as it might have been. But, you know, every penny counts, I guess, as well.
1: Every penny counts, yeah. I'm actually just trying to look now because I, I did speak to Kieran from Swiss Ramble about this during last season and he did put a specific figure on it for me. Mm. Um <sighs> This is not this is not good podcasting 40 million or so 40 million or so are you sure that's yeah. what he said yeah uh yes the 40 million pound or so from the Europa League is money that Arsenal can ill afford to lose as it helps separate them from the Chelsea pack especially given the equitable nature of the Premier League TV mm. deal um, now all I can think is if you look at what Arsenal I've used this comparison elsewhere, but if you look at what they saved on the wage cut, which is, you know, potentially about £25 million. Still the only club to do it. Still the only club. If they felt compelled to do that, then I imagine a sum of £40 million or even £30 million is relatively precious to them. Therefore, I sort of, from a business perspective, think they probably do need to be in Europe. If there is money to be had there, mm. they need that money. Yeah. Now, as a fan, I honestly I couldn't really care less about the Europa League at this point. I you know, it's no fun for the most part. Uh we won't be able to go to any of the matches, especially away. And um I'd I'd love to focus on the Premier League and try and improve our position mm. there. But I think it's an economic consideration, like a lot of decisions the football club faces in the next few months. You know, economics is the the driving force there. And if we want to keep players and not have to sell ones that we like, Mm. probably could do with that money.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I see all the financial reasons as to why being in Europe is is important. But from a a sporting perspective, I find it very difficult to be up for the Europa League, if you like, particularly when it's going to be this sort of um, half-hour... If you thought
1: Europa League atmospheres were bad previously, welcome to the new Europa League.
2: Well, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that uh, UEFA will be doing as much as possible to polish the product that they give us. And Mm. it wouldn't surprise me if we had the virtual fans... And we had the virtual singing, and we had the virtual, I don't know, whatever else they could bring
1: in. Virtual. Maybe if it's Michael all going to be Owen. virtual, we don't have to actually play the games. Can't they just put the FIFA version of our team out? Because I think the FIFA version of our team is quite a lot better than the real version.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it could be.
1: We've it got, got some be. good fast players on FIFA, and it tends to go all right. Exactly. Once you've got a
2: couple of players at pace above 90, you're sorted against the average guy against the average guy i mean speaking of the financial considerations you you sort of clarified something over the weekend um i noticed with regards to a story involving scouts Mm. and that certain scouts across europe had been laid off or told Mm. you know uh, we don't have any work for you um what exactly was that
1: so, yeah, there was a story in the mirror, wasn't there, about um, scouts being laid off. And basically, m- my understanding is that actually those were European Academy scouts, which is sort of run mm. somewhat separately. Uh, it's run... And, in fact, the decision was taken by, I think, Per Mertzaka and Lee Heron. Is that his name? Lee Heron, that's right. And they um, sort of are in the process of kind of restructuring how the academy's recruitment works. And a a big factor in this apparently is Brexit because Arsenal historically have had a really decent knack of bringing over players uh you know under 16 often you think of Fabregas, Bellerin and many more uh, and kind of implanting them in in their own academy the understanding is that that's going to be much more difficult Mm. um in a post-Brexit world and consequently it's affecting the type of scouting they're doing and it's actually going in two directions on the one side there's going to be more of an emphasis on sort of looking at what the, what the club called development players, so people between eighteen and twenty one people who are kind of operating in that space between academy sides and first team who maybe you know aren 't quite getting enough uh, first team football and you know on the, on the cusp of breaking through they 're mm. going to look for players there and, and if you think about it, uh, some of the recent signings we 've made martinelli uh, saliba they are in that that age bracket, and I think that 's going to be a big focus yeah. moving forward. The other side of it that I think is really interesting is that the club are going to put a renewed focus into London and um, we're talking at kind of the the age group between sort of 10 and 13, but they really, they're really they aware, you know, and look at the generation we have already coming through, that there is a huge amount of talent in London and I think they want to try and, uh, you know, do everything they can to improve the academy's prospects in, in mm. that regard. So... I mean, again, a, a natural move following Brexit, but it's an interesting one because I think it's a, it's a tricky time for the scouting department because, you know, they are now operating within a model which, as we know, is a, is a little bit more uh, contact-led in the business of the transfer market. You know, I, th- I think if you look at the signings we made in January, for example, Pablo Marie and Cedric Suarez, mm. they aren't signings that scream scouting. You know, they were signings that we made because they were expedient uh, and because they were convenient and practical, given some of the connections that the club had. And so, yeah, it will be very interesting to see if and when we do start buying players again. Mm. You know, to what degree the the scouting department are are being heard in that. In that
2: regard. Yeah, yeah, that is a very interesting um, thought. Because, you know, that is their job. And, and you know, if they go out and they find good talent and then see the club bring in a player because of, as you say, the, the relationships between some of the individuals involved, that would be very frustrating. I would say.
1: Um, yeah, and actually, you know, in terms of the scouting department, I mean, we're all incredibly excited about Martinelli. And uh, from everything you hear, that is a victory of scouting. That is a victory yes. of him being picked out by people on the ground in Brazil, by the head scout, Francis Cargall, going out and watching him and essentially pushing Arsenal to, to buy the player. And that shows you you know the value that a scout can bring and and he was playing in a division in a league mm. where there was n- there were no stats you know there was no analytics you could not build a statistical profile of martinelli uh, you couldn't do a radar for him because the it just the data wasn't there uh, and so you know consequently he was found by eye and uh, i think yeah. it's it's you know all good recruitment departments should be a combination of contacts sure but also Scouting and thirdly, data. All three of those things, I think, should contribute to a successful recruitment department. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And that's a, that's a really great point, you know, when it comes to, to Martinelli. And I know people talk about Edu um, as if this was to do with him, and he may well have had, you know, um, contact, uh, or they may well have been able to use Edu's, uh, knowledge or what have you, but you know, mm. don't forget, he didn't join until uh, what? When was it? Last summer. It was the
1: spring. Yeah, yeah last uh, summer.
2: And and you know, the Martinelli deal had been basically in the can since the early part of the year.
1: You know, exactly. So yeah. so, and at that point, I think Arsenal still thought they were probably going to appoint Monchi. So you know, uh, as tempting as it is to sort of mm. give Eddie credit for that, I don't think that is what happened. Um,
2: here's a question from Jeffrey on the Discord. Um, he says, The fact that we start on the 17th earlier than almost everyone else, uh, do you think it'll help us on the weekend versus Brighton? Does having one game head start help you much? It's an interesting one to think about, isn't it? Because mm. if... I mean, you heard Darren Burgess on the on the podcast on Friday when he talked about, you know, they did the normal sort of training, but as soon as they, they amped it up, as soon as they started bringing in contact and twisting and turning, the players were reporting all kinds of pain and aches and strains and what have you. So as much as Arsenal are going to be, you know, amping up the training, a physically intense game against Manchester City who are going to have a lot of the ball, are going to give us, you know, something of a runaround in terms of possession, I would imagine. Um, that's very tiring. So, you know, will that stand us in good stead for Brighton, which is only, you know, three days later?
1: Yeah, I've just had a great moment, by the way, where I've opened up my iCal on my computer and the fixtures have imported themselves. And it's a, it's a lovely moment <laughs> for me. It's like, oh, look, football uh, matches is great. Football. Oh, yeah, um, mine is there too. Yeah. So, do I think it's going to help us? I mean, potentially, but the only thing I would say is, do we really think... I mean, look at those four games in the first two weeks. We're not going to play the same starting eleven in those four matches, are we? Surely not.
2: No, but when you've only got one player, really, who scores goals, you've got to... He's going to play. He's going to play. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Look, he is, of course, he's going to have to rotate and he's going to have to keep things fresh. And, um, you know, you you could potentially start a different team for Brighton than you would for Manchester City, which is not to be disrespectful of Brighton in any way. But, you know, they're not as good as Man City. That's, that's, I don't think anybody that's would I
1: argue. I believe that. you've said that. <laughs> that is a disgrace. We're going to have Brighton fans out protesting against this podcast now (laughs) I think um, do I think it will help us well can I give a very boring answer and say it depends how the Man City game goes I mean if we get absolutely taken apart I don't think it will help us (laughs) that's fair enough that's fair enough Um... if we get something there I mean suddenly we'll feel on top of the world and we're able to Mm. go to Brighton and, and do whatever I mean yeah, it, it it could be, it will determine a bit the mood of the squad. It will, mm. but I think, you know, I think there are going to be points of rotation in this period. And I think we can almost guess what some of them are. Like, I think that maybe, as they did just before Football Stop, Lacazette and Nketiah might kind of swap in and out here and there. Mm. Um, I think in central midfield, you've got options with Ceballos or Guendouzi or something. Yeah. Uh, I think at left back you've got a new option potentially with Kieran Tierney, Saka, and Kalasenac all potential candidates to play there. Mm. Um, but Cedric at right back. Well, I had a question actually about Cedric, um, which was, where is it from Bittersweet Tim on the Discord? Goodly morning. Any ideas on Cedric's face mask? What happened to him in the lockdown? No.
2: <laughs> I thought he was just a fan of Phantom of the Opera. I, I feel like he's just sure, using yeah, his yeah. time at Arsenal to sort of engage in all his theatrical fantasies.
1: It's so befitting, in a way, that he should be wearing a mask, given his anonymity at Arsenal thus far. He didn't even play against Charlton uh, on the weekend. Can't con- even
2: get into the team for a friendly against Charlton. What fucking use is this guy at all? Just get rid. I,
1: get rid! I mean, maybe no, it's it could PPE. Be. Maybe it's PPE. Does anyone consider that possibility? He's uh, just very cautious of contracting something via his eyes and he's popped a little mask on.
2: But do they, I mean...
1: Did, 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 Next week did at they training, have... he's going to have a sc- scuba mask and like, <laughs> I don't know.
2: Yeah, like a diving bell, one of those old yeah. school diving suits. <laughs> <laughs> just...
1: uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what's happened to Cedric. I mean, he's obviously... What would what would that mask signify? His could eyes be are like c- coming out.
2: No, is it? Well, he could have like a a, a fractured bone. eye, cheekbone thing, or a, an eye thing. I don't know. Don't know. Who knows?
1: Eye He's got eye Oh no. Um. Yeah, he might play a game at some point, but I'm not. I'm not going to put my life on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just think that in this I just think that let's say this. I think the gap in quality and I and I might be proven wrong, but having spoken to Southampton fans that I know, the gap in quality between Bellerin and Cedric is substantial. Mm. So, I don't think it's just a case of kind of oh you can just swap him in and out and you won't even notice. Yeah. I mean this is Bellerin at his best.
2: Sure. Which we haven't seen, in fairness, which we for, haven't seen for a while. Fairness. But hopefully, we do when when things kick off again.
1: Well, he's finally cut all his hair off. So the people who said that what he really needs to do was cut his hair—they must he's be, gone nuclear with that. He must, must, this must be—he must be brilliant now.
2: Yeah, they'll be they'll be delighted because you know it was the thing that was holding him back—the hair,
1: the hair for yeah, sure. You know. Um, so I think now that's gone. I mean, the problem is if he does play well now, those people will be like, "Told you." Yeah. Once he got a bloody bloke's haircut, suddenly he was good again.
2: Bet he's had a fucking burger as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch his thing with, uh, Yedlin? Uh, with Yedlin? I didn't
2: have a chance to watch it yet. Is it worth it?
1: Do you know what? It, it is quite good just to see... T- it's a like it's on Bellamy's YouTube channel if you don't know what we're talking about, and it's mm. kind of just them having a chat, really, from Skype or Zoom or something. But they're talking about George Floyd and you know the civil rights issues at the moment, uh, and it is just really interesting to see two Premier League footballers who are sort of bright, eloquent, and interested. And I say that not as someone who believes none are. You know, I believe that mm. plenty are, but it's not necessarily a side of them we see in the media and uh Bellerin's great and i think yedlin comes across really well as well i mean i think often as a brit i think often as i perceive american athletes are somehow more eloquent i don't know if it's something to do with the college system or anything like that but they they talk about these issues really well i mean raheem sterling was pretty good actually on Newsnight the other night too didn't see but yeah yeah. Um, but Bellerin and uh, Yedlin, yeah, it's great. And it's also one of those things that you just watch and you go, oh, yeah, Bellerin's a really good guy. He's yeah. like a, a nice guy. And as a fan, mm. you want that, don't you?
2: You do, you do. Uh, have we got time for a couple more? A couple yeah. quick ones. Okay, here's uh, one from, let me find it here. It comes from Jesus Christ. Christ. It doesn't, know. it doesn't come from Jesus Christ. It oh. comes from Simon Walder, who said, Would it be possible for the Mickey soundbite to stop haunting me and cracking me up at random and often inappropriate moments, please? Yes. I'm a fr-
1: <laughs> I think it's not possible. Because it's still, oh, there it is. Mickey. You're not playing anything, though, are you? So if anyone's hearing that, I guess that's just in their head. It's in
2: their head. I, I'm
1: not yeah. doing it because I'm your, conscious your of... Your hands are behind your back.
2: Exactly. I don't want to give Simon any more inappropriate moments. I mean, who it's knows? Of
1: hallucinations of the sound of someone saying Mickey. Mickey. Yeah. yeah. That would be terrible for would him. be. Well, it good job. Be. It's just complete silence now.
2: Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Complete silence and, you know, there's no need for anybody to get hung up and, and just have this Mickey. haunting their dreams, you know? Okay, cool. So we, we don't uh, need that. We do not need... <clears throat> That's the yeah.
1: last thing we need.
2: That is the last God's thing we need. Or...
1: I like that. Um, Did you see that um, viral tweet at the weekend pointing out that his name contains none of the letters from the bottom row of the keyboard? Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> People have a lot of time on their hands, don't they? Sure, At the sure. moment to figure out. I wouldn't know that because
1: I always copy and paste his name, obviously. I'm not an idiot.
2: I just don't use his surname ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always just Socrates. Socrates. The
1: vowels in his surname are honestly all all over the place. It's difficult.
2: Okay. Final one. It comes from Landon Musashi, who says, I've been trying to ask you this important question for years. This is what he says. This is what he says. For years. Uh, I don't know where you've been asking this, Landon, because this is the first time I've seen it. Sure. So he could be... Uh, just writing it on random walls and hoping we come across it. Anyway, he says the scientist who came up with the idea of taking DNA from preserved mosquitoes to recreate dinosaurs that Jurassic Park used has given up on that idea and has instead turned to activating prehistoric but still unused genes in chickens to create a chickenosaurus. He says this is real. Here's a link and it's a link to a Washington Post article.
1: About the chickenosaurus.
2: Paleontologist Jack Horner is hard at work trying to turn a chicken into a dinosaur. This is an article from twenty fourteen. So far, he doesn't appear to have made it happen. So <laughs> well, I
1: think we would have heard about it. I think if he'd done it. We'd have heard we'd about know. it by now, yeah, for but sure. But of course, the appeal for Arsenal here we could genetically engineer a live gunnosaurus.
2: Crossed with a chickenosaurus?
1: Yeah. No, from a chicken. Right. If we put, if we injected it with enough dinosaur and enough uh, oh. green. If you injected it with a lot of green and and also green food colouring and dinosaur DNA and a, an arsenal kit.
2: A real-life Gunnarsaurus. That would be amazing. Mm. That would be...
1: We actually had a question about Gunnasaurus just quickly. Jason Green on Twitter said, should Gunnasaurus be wearing a face covering when he embraces Moonchester before the City game?
2: Who the fuck is Moonchester?
1: Do you not know who Moonchester is? No. Oh, well, let me just add on this. First of all, I've been trying to find out if Gunnasaurus will even be allowed at Arsenal games and that's not a joke. I have tried to find out and I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Moonchester is some sort of alien... What is the mascot of Man City? He looks like two, a little moonbeam and moonchester. They look like a pair of twats. They're a couple, I believe.
2: They're like They're, fucking blue zig and zag.
1: Yeah, wankers. yeah, yeah. Imagine having an alien. Having an alien as your mascot is so much worse than having a dinosaur.
2: Yeah, I mean dinosaurs um, are real.
1: Exactly, and well, they will be real again thanks will. to thanks to the doctor chicken.
2: Chicken, chicken
1: man. I mean, it's what does the chicken think about all this? I guess the chicken's like, actually, this is brilliant because I'm sick of being a chicken. We're not very well treated.
2: Yeah, the chicken's lot is not a happy one in general. So if they can contribute to a gigantic chicken that could potentially bring down the human race, <laughs> then why wouldn't they be? I mean, look, if, if this is a movie, that's happened, what happens. If it happened,
1: yeah,
2: in 2020. Would you be surprised? No. If... The way it's going... The way it's going, you just uh, you turn on the news, and all of a sudden, from this guy's paleontology lab, wherever the fuck it is, there's a chicken-asaurus bombing down the street. Do you know what I saw? Did you read the story about,
1: like, how... Knocking down a statue of Colonel Sanders. <laughs>
2: But there was a story I just read before we started recording about how they're having plagues of locusts, and yeah, China are I sending that, an yeah. army of ducks. I to mean, help.
1: what's going on?
2: Where did they have all their ducks? Where are they in the first place? Are they are they randomly training up the them
1: for years? <laughs> They've been training them for years. This is China we're talking about. They've been training them, and now they're unleashing them. Wow!
2: I mean, what what next? A secret fucking army of otters to, like... Damn up! Upra- I don't know. It's just too much. So if the chickenosaurus thing happened, I wouldn't be at all surprised. There was a question about this, but it was, you know, it was about um, which Arsenal players would you fight the chickenosaurus with. But we've done that fighting question. Um, there was one I just wanted to finish on because uh, people have been asking us to do predictions at Kel, who's at 96kel on Twitter, says, will you do a predictor on the games and final position from now to the end of the season? Did we do this like a few weeks ago?
1: Oh, man. I don't know. Did we? I feel like we did, but I can't remember what we said. I think we did. I think we did. Did you not write it down somewhere? Yes. I'm not saying that in an accusatory fashion, but I know I wouldn't have written it down.
2: Um, uh, uh, A 40-foot chicken dog at my homework, (laughs) so I don't have the piece of paper anymore. What
1: can you do at the end of the day?
2: Yeah. Let's, Let's do it next week again. When we Let me tell
1: you. Go on. We'll we'll all see who the chicken is when the forty foot chicken comes for us all. Yeah. Then who's chicken? Then
2: who's chicken? See who fucking crosses the road then.
1: Yeah. We'll be running across the road screaming. <laughs>
2: yeah. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because it could do what it fucking wanted. Because <laughs> he <it> was forty <laughs> foot tall. Right.
1: Right. It'd be a good movie that. It's like a kind of snakes on a plane style B-movie, isn't it? There's
2: got to be... Uh, I'm going to attack... chicken Attack of the 40-foot chicken. Is that...
1: If that doesn't come up, we're copywriting that now. Yeah. Like... And then... Yeah, like the
2: Sharknado fucking yeah, type exactly. things. So, chicken a um, Clucking-hell, whatever the hell the movie will be called. Mm.
1: Um, yeah. I think that's a great movie.
2: Attack of the 50-foot chicken. I just found a video on YouTube. I don't know what it is. It appears to be... if you open be,
1: it, it's just real footage. It appears to be a, somehow been hidden by the government.
2: It appears to be a song. Some, oh, Jesus. There it is. Yeah, funny song. Anyway,
1: there you go. Look,
2: um, everybody out there, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe um, as much as possible and, and keeping well. And thank you, as always, for being with us. Uh, on the podcast. That's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. uh, Yeah. And you, of course, James. I mean, it goes without saying. It goes without saying.
1: Anytime, anytime.
2: All right. We will uh, have an Arsecast for you on Friday. And from next week, things are going to start getting busy and intense. So we will have some extra Arsecasts extra. um, When the games start going again, we will figure out the dates and and what have you. Um, So, yeah, there you go. It's all very exciting. Um, maybe Real we could football. do virtual virtual listeners and virtual um, fans for the podcast.
1: That'd be good, actually. Mm. Like a laughter track and applause at the end.
2: Yeah, yes. James, actually, you're maybe right. stick
1: some cheering in when we close the show, just as a test at that. Yeah, let's I'd, give I'd it. Be a nice, uh, for my ego.
2: Let's give it a try. Okay. Well, look. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one.
1: Bye bye.